Welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, why not check out our website, birminghamvineyard.com. As was said, we are continuing with the Matthew series. For those people who like to be prepared and get to the passage ahead of time, we are going to be looking at Matthew 10, verses 16 to 29. So if you want to turn there, go for it. Now, in this passage, Jesus has some pretty difficult words to say to his disciples. And I heard a quote somewhere that said, hard words produce soft hearts and soft words produce hard hearts. And we all want soft hearts, right, that are ready to respond to what God has to say to us. And so just before we get stuck in, I want to pray. Yeah, Father God, we just thank you that you love each one of us. Thank you that you send your Holy Spirit amongst us when we gather in Jesus' name. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray, would you be at work amongst us? Would you give us soft hearts to receive what Jesus has to say to us? And would you protect protect us from condemnation and guilt, but enable us to receive the gentle leading and authority of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to be looking at the theme of discipleship and rejection, which is another way of saying persecution. And so in, the, um, in this passage, I want to um, explore three, way, three things that, when we face persecution, are helpful. That is being dependent on Jesus, trustful of Jesus, and devoted to Jesus. And so our first passage uh, in verse 16 goes like this. Jesus says, I am sending you out like sheep amongst wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say, for it will, be, it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You'll be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. For truly I tell you, you will not be finished going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher, and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household? Well, that's not easy stuff to hear. Jesus' instructions to his disciples 
have taken a sharp turn from um, telling them what to do when they go to warnings about what they should watch out for as they go. And as we read in verse 16, Jesus says he's sending out his disciples like sheep among wolves. Now, that seems like a pretty risky idea, given that wolves eat sheep. And, I don't know if you've noticed, they're not particularly well-equipped to defend themselves. If a sheep sees or smells a wolf, they don't really have any way of doing anything about it other than hoping they're faster than the next sheep. So sending out more sheep to the lost sheep of Israel, as Jesus described the Jewish people at the time, seems a bit counterintuitive, really. So what's the difference between the disciples and the people that they are taking the good news of Jesus to? Well, the disciples have a shepherd. Jesus is not sending his disciples out defenseless. They have him as their shepherd to protect them. Sheep are completely dependent on their shepherd to defend them. And just as as sheep, we are invited as disciples to be utterly dependent on Jesus to thrive amongst the wolves. Jesus knew that he was facing and was going to face opposition. He knew that the culture was hostile to to him, to his message, and to those who would follow him. And the reality is, that hasn't changed. Jesus warns the disciples that the persecution that he experienced would happen to them too. If they continued to follow him and preach his message, they would experience rejection. In fact, all of Jesus' warnings did happen to the disciples. And the truth is, similar things happen to Christians all over the world today. We even have many people in our church who are here because they are fleeing religious persecution in their own countries. If we take a global view of Christianity, it is actually the most persecuted religion in the world. We as Christians in the UK occupy a very privileged position in the body of Christ. And it's easy to take that for granted. If, like me, you want to educate yourself on the persecuted church, then I would just encourage you to check out Open Door's website. It's a great place to start to learn, and they have some really helpful prayer resources. So Brother Andrew, who was a Bible smuggler and founded Open Doors, said this, The real calling, that is of a Christian, is not to a certain place or career, but to everyday obedience. And this call is extended to every Christian, not just a select few. So as we see in our passage, we are not called to look for persecution. In fact, Jesus' advice to his disciples is if they experience it, to leave. But we are called to obedience to Jesus. To go where he would go, to do what he would do, and to say what he would say whether it brings persecution or not. So, are we going to let the possibility of division and rejection have an impact on our relationship with Jesus? If persecution or the threat of persecution makes us draw back from living and speaking for Jesus, then the reality is Satan wins. His threats of persecution might not have harmed us, but it has succeeded in holding back 
the message about Jesus. Maybe a more personal question is, are there any places in our life where we hold back from being honest about our faith out of fear? Maybe instead of avoiding hardship, the hard stuff of life is meant to have a positive impact on our relationship with Jesus. Relying on Jesus for everything can produce amazing fruit. Romans 5, on a personal level, promises that trials will produce perseverance, character, and hope. On a collective level, the churches experiencing persecution are often the ones growing the fastest. And we see in verse 19 and 20 that in moments of persecution and trial, God promises to draw near by his Holy Spirit and to speak through us. Jesus is our good shepherd who we can depend on. He cares for us, even laying down his life for us. But unfortunately, as we'll see in the next verses, this is not a promise that our life will be free from suffering. Rather, that by defeating our greatest enemies of sin, death, and the devil, there is nothing in this life we need fear. So Jesus invites us to depend on him, and he invites us to trust him. Verse 26 goes like this. Jesus continues, So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the rooftops. Do not be afraid of those who could kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Crunching gear change. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are numbered. So do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Do not be afraid. Well, do not be afraid is actually the most common command in the Bible. It's used three times in this paragraph alone. And to be fair, if I'm honest, in light of what Jesus has just said, that's exactly what I want to hear. But interesting enough, Jesus is not saying, do not be afraid because God is with you, which is what you might expect from most of the other commands. Rather, Jesus provides a basis for our hope, which is rooted in his future return. Jesus is saying that we need not be afraid in this instance, because the worst that the enemy and the wolves can do to us is kill us. Encouraging. But fear not, for he has come to defeat death. We are promised that ultimately the truth will be made clear. Justice will prevail. Those who have wronged us and done evil in this world will be punished. And all those who persevere to the end with trust in Jesus will be saved. When we follow Jesus and put him first in our lives, we don't need to be afraid of death because it is not the end, but a new beginning of a perfect life with him. But it's really easy to be afraid, isn't it? 
We are creatures of comfort, or at least I am. Um, most of us would probably resonate with the um, statement, I'm not afraid of dying, it's the pain that I'm worried about. We want to maximize enjoyment and avoid discomfort. And not just physical discomfort, but also social and emotional discomfort. Sharing Jesus will upset the status quo. He makes that clear. Talking about Jesus can feel like a risk, and being faithful to the teachings of the Bible can feel like an even bigger one. Now, I don't know, if your friends are anything like mine, then they are quite comfortable with the idea of spirituality. They're actually quite comfortable with the idea that there might be a God, and they quite like Jesus, or at least the picture of Jesus they have of a kind of woke Palestinian revolutionary. But, what they don't want to hear is that they're sinners, is that there are eternal consequences for their choices, that Jesus isn't just a good example, but a king who deserves to be obeyed. When Jesus taught, he wasn't just trying to win a popularity contest. He didn't really preach what people wanted to hear. It's so easy for us to soften the message so that people are more likely to like us, so that we fit in. Following Jesus' example, the disciples were told many times that they were, what they were preaching wasn't allowed that it was too controversial, that it was stirring up too much trouble, that there would be terrible consequences. But they didn't stop. And I really am speaking for myself, and I think probably most of us when I say that we have often learned to tone down the message of Jesus, to make it more palatable to our culture and our time. I tell myself I'm trying to be more relevant and appealing, that I'm really doing it for those who don't know Jesus yet. But if I'm honest, I'm doing it for me. In the name of tolerance, it can be easy to affirm beliefs and priorities that are other than Jesus, even though we believe that Jesus is the only way. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Yes, he was firstly talking about himself, but also when we compromise the truth of the message, We empty it of its power. Power to offer the very freedom that we need and that we long for, for our friends. Jesus didn't preach what people wanted to hear, but he did preach what we and they needed to hear. Now, I want to tell a story of my teenage years. Admittedly, um, I don't, I think I come out well. I don't know. You can make the decision. But, um, I'm not trying to blow my own trumpet. So I grew up here in Birmingham, and um, I went to school just down the Bristol Road at Bourneville Comprehensive. And, um, but just before my A-levels, as a family, we moved to St. Albans. Um, and I went to what was quite a posh sixth form, where we all addressed each other by our last names, and I was Stampers. Um, we got a yearbook um, when we finished, and under my name was the quote, They asked, so I told them. Now, this came from a controversial incident in the common room 
One of my good friends was a Hindu, and we got on to talking about religion. Inevitably, it got a little bit heated, and uh, at one point, he said very loudly, are you saying I'm going to hell because I'm a Hindu? And I said, yes. <laughs> of course, this caused uh, quite a controversy in the school, uh, and that went on for a while. But in the end, my Hindu friend came to church with me. A number of friends came on our Youth Alpha, and our CU doubled in size. Now, I was 70, and maybe I'd handle it slightly differently now, but I don't know if the fruits of that would have been the same if I'd fudged it. Talking about hell, Jesus says in our passage, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So, is Jesus telling us to be afraid of God? Well, no. As those who have put our trust in Jesus, we need not fear hell. But the Bible does say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Friends, as those who claim to love God, shouldn't we be at least as concerned about offending him as about offending our friends and neighbours? Well, when we know that Jesus loves us, we need not fear judgment, hell, or death. In fact, with this eternal perspective, we need not fear anything this world could throw at us. Jesus is with us, and he comforts us in our fear. He also provides for us. That's what the sparrows are all about. If God cares about the little sparrows and provides for them life and all that they need, how much more will he provide for us? We also see that God loves us and sees us individually. He loves us more intimately than we might have imagined. I don't know how many hairs are on my head, or on my face for that matter, but God does. If God really takes note of every small detail, and there is nothing too great for him, then there's nothing we can't bring to him in prayer. And if you're here and you struggle to know that Jesus loves you, or if worry, anxiety, and fear feel bigger than his love for you, then please don't leave here without getting some prayer. So we are sent out like sheep amongst wolves, but we can and should depend on Jesus, our shepherd. We do not need to be afraid because not only is God with us, but we can trust that we have a future hope in him not only for eternal life, but of justice for those who have wronged us. So Jesus encourages us to depend on him, to trust him, and finally, to be devoted to him. So Jesus continues in our passage, Whatever, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge them before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown them before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That's not so hard. A man's enemies will be the matter of his own house. <laughs> Anyone who loves his mother 
more than he is than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. But whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So let's start with what Jesus is not saying here. This is not an excuse to hold on to anger with your parents. Sorry, guys. Nor is this an excuse to start arguments with family and make them enemies. Family division is not the aim here. But Jesus is warning that that is a possible consequence. Naturally, unless everyone agrees with what Jesus has to say, there's not going to be peace. Disagreement causes division. When people make a decision to follow Jesus, it's going to affect families. So Jesus isn't talking about hating your family. What Jesus is talking about is priorities. Jesus is saying that what matters most is allegiance to him. There's no neutral ground when it comes to Jesus. He should be and deserves to be the top of everyone's priority list. In the same vein, he tells his disciples and us to pick up our cross and die. In Roman times, once someone had picked up their cross and was carrying it to the place of crucifixion, there was no going back. Following Jesus is a literal, eternal life or death choice, with no looking back. Giving Jesus all our trust and all our loyalty. Dying is never pleasant, but resurrection life only comes through first dying. Dying to ourselves and embracing the life that Jesus has for us, whatever the personal cost. Now, I'm going to be honest. This isn't the most profound example, but it is the most recent. Those of you who know me and know me for a while will know that I'm not the best at organisation nor dates. However, over the last two years, I've been making a concerted effort, and I'd like to say I've been getting better. However... The other week, I was sitting in one of our Monday morning planning meetings, and we were going through the events, and I suddenly realized that I had planned a small group leader's training on a day when I was on holiday. My stomach dropped, and there was an internal wrestle about whether I could bring myself to own up to this in the meeting in front of everyone. I didn't. I spent the rest of the day trying to figure out how I could get away with not rearranging it. I discovered that there was no internet where we were going, so I tried to find where the nearest pub with internet was. I was willing to sacrifice my rest, inconvenience my family for their holiday, because there were a few people on the course who I didn't want to look bad in front of. The next day I was praying And I realized that I was doing all of this out of pride. This was all about me trying to protect my reputation. Because I wanted people to think I'd changed. I wanted people to think I was better. I wanted to think of myself as if I'd achieved something over the last two years. But I rearranged it. Now, this might seem silly. But to, to me, it felt like dying, a little bit. 
At least I was dying to my own reputation. And when we die to ourselves, we are freed from the slavery of maintaining our own reputation and identity. As I said at the end of our last series, Christianity is not about your best life now, personal fulfillment or self-actualization. I recently got an email advertising a course for young adults that, quote, will help you reconstruct a faith that works for you. Now, I truly believe that there are many personal blessings that come with following Jesus. And as your pastor, I long for and I pray that you will live in the benefits of all of them. But I'm sorry to say, Christianity isn't about you. It's about Jesus. After Jesus' resurrection, the message that the early church proclaimed across the world was not Jesus is your best friend or even Jesus loves you, but Jesus is Lord. Jesus lived a perfect sinless life for you. He died the death of a criminal for you so that you could be forgiven. He rose again, defeating the, defeating the powers of sin and death for you. He offers you a new life through faith in him, a life that is to its fullness. An eternal life in relationship with our Heavenly Father who loves us and knows what is best for us. Jesus did all of this for you. And what he asks in return is obedience. Or, you could phrase it, devotion. Worshipful obedience of Jesus. Our saviour, and yes, our friend, and yes, one who loves us, but Jesus, our Lord. So in conclusion, and just as the band come up, I want to sum up. Living in the clash of kingdoms is not comfortable. There is a cost to discipleship, an assumption of rejection, but Jesus is our victorious king. We can go into every battle knowing that he has already won the war. Jesus sends us out as sheep among wolves, but he is our shepherd who cares for us and we can depend on him. We don't have to be afraid because we can trust that death is not the end and that he is our righteous judge. We can pick up our cross and die to ourselves because Jesus literally did for us and as such deserves all of our faith and our devotion. Church, let's be a people who depend on Jesus, who trust Jesus and who live lives of devotion to him. Amen. Well, in response, I want to um, invite, we're going to move into a moment of worship. So if you're willing and able, can I just invite you to stand? And we're going to respond in worship to Jesus. And then we're going to take communion together. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. Why not come along and visit us? We gather at three services across two sites on a Sunday and meet during the week in small groups across the city. More information on both of these can be found on our website. Thanks for listening and God bless.